Father God, we, we come before you today and we bring to you all of our fears, yeah. all of our anxious thoughts, all of our worries, all of our cares, everything that is distracting us, consuming us, we bring them to you in prayer, Lord. We place them in your hands. You are the one who stills our hearts. You are the one who chases away all of our fears and anxieties. Let every one of us right now open up and be filled with the peace of God that passes all understanding. The love of God which casts out all fear and the blessing of God in every area of our lives. In the name above all names, the name of Jesus and all God's people shout it. Come on church. Well, good morning, church. So today, um, we are on part two of a message series we started last week, which is based on a book that, that I've written, which is supposed to be available for sale, but we sold out last week, and the next batch haven't come yet. They're on their way, apparently, but uh, they're not here yet. So they'll be here next week, um, or of course, it's available on Amazon. And we're starting off by looking at, and we did the introduction last week, we're looking at the moment at four spiritual diseases that tend to infect our faith as Christians. Sometimes as individuals we can be infected by this. Sometimes, like, I've been to whole churches that are infected by it. Like, like there's whole churches that should probably be quarantined <laughs> and not allowed to post YouTube videos until they're cured of these things because they're spreading them everywhere. And, and today, so we looked at the four spiritual diseases, which have all got fancy names, literalism, legalism, futurism, dualism. We, I told you what they were, and, and this is all from section one of the book. In, in section two, it seems to go into a totally different subject, which we mentioned last week. Um, but then in section three, I show how both of these come together. So we're not doing the other subject, the ages and, and um, the end of these and all of that stuff that are mentioned in the Bible. We're looking at the four spiritual diseases this week and next week. So we're looking at two of them today, two of them next Sunday. And the two that we're looking at today are called legalism and futurism, legalism and futurism. So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes to talk about legalism and then a few minutes to talk about futurism. I mean, like you can take a few minutes with a pinch of salt, okay? I'm gonna take some time to talk about each of those things and then I'm going to uh, finish up um, by talking about if we shouldn't be living those ways, how should we be living? And, um, and so that, that's where we're going today. So I want to talk about these two things. Now, I cannot do these topics justice 
in one message. In fact, um, at, uh, in, in the, does anybody have a copy of my book with them by any chance? Can I see one? Yeah, but somebody might have brought one with them, you know, because it's a lucky charm. It keeps you safe from evil. Okay. There's, there's a section in the back. I can't remember how, how long it is. And, um, but it gives you a list of biblical quotations that warn you against legalism. And there are so many of them, like we could take those passages and we could preach every Sunday for a year on them. That's how many there, there are. I mean, the Bible says things like this. If the law, the religious law, if that could save you, God would never have sent Jesus. But it can't save you. And then there's other verses that say, not only can obeying religious laws not save you, they can't even stop you from sinning. Furthermore, there's passages that say, not only does obeying religious laws not save you, and they can't even stop you from sinning, it actually encourages you to sin. It says the law awakens sin within you. And so, legalism, all of these things we're going to be looking at, people buy into them with the best of intentions. But it would, it, it's kind of like this. Um, imagine that you've got some terrible disease and someone comes to town, you know, a snake oil salesman comes to town and he's got some potion that he claims will cure you of that disease. And all doctors deny that it's true, but, but you believe this. You've got a disease that you want cured and you buy into this. But what you don't understand is that this thing actually not only cures, does not cure the disease, it makes it even worse. You might be taking this potion every day with the best of intentions, but it is not the cure for the problem. And as Christians, we realize we don't want to sin, we don't want to go astray, we don't want to go down the wrong paths for our life, so let's become really strict and legalistic with ourselves, because that might stop us doing it, and it doesn't. Not only does it not cure the disease, it actually makes it worse. And not only does it make it worse, it actually makes you infectious. Because after you start becoming legalistic with yourself, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do the next thing, nope, this is wrong and that's wrong. Before you know it, you begin to project that on other people. Look at that person there and look at what she's wearing and look at what, did you hear what he said? And, and before you know it, you're judging everybody. The legalism that you are imposing on yourself, you start to impose on everybody. And when you impose legalism on yourself, all it produces is shame. And when you impose it on other people, all it, it produces is judgmentalism. And if you will take a couple of days to read through the Gospels, you will discover that that is not a depiction of Jesus. That is a depiction of the Pharisees who opposed Jesus. They went about judging everybody and classing them as different categories of sinners. 
And they also then started to take pride in themselves if they were able to obey all of these laws and so on. And if they failed and broke one, then it brought terrible shame and they had to go and correct it and so on. But you know what? None of them, it, it, it did not make their hearts filled with love, love for God and love for people. It made their hearts cold and empty and barren and judgmental. Legalism doesn't work. Legalism is a system of beliefs and behavior that are imposed outwardly and have to be lived up to. That is called religion, okay? God, does, God is not saying, I am looking for people who are very religious. God is saying, I'm looking for children that I can have a relationship with. I'm your father. You're my son and daughter. Let's have a relationship. Can you imagine if you tried to build any relationship? Let me put it this way. People sometimes say things, and, and I've heard this often. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going on about forget about legalism, forget about religious laws, it's all about grace, God forgives us, and so on. You're giving people a license to sin. Well, I've got some news for you. People are sinning anyway, whether you give them a license or not. <laughs> right? They're sinning anyway. And anyway, that accusation is exactly what the legalists in the early church accused the apostle Paul of. If you read the book of Romans sometime, Paul talks about it, and he says, they're, they're saying, he preaches, you can sin all you want because it's God's grace that covers you. And Paul says, that's not what I'm preaching. Although technically it's true, God's grace does cover you even if you do sin. That's not what I'm preaching. It's like the story of the two, the two preachers that met each other at the preacher's convention. And one preacher was always talking about God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness, God supports you, God is for you and not against you. But the other preacher was like a legalistic preacher. And he was always preaching about sin and condemnation and hellfire and brimstone and all of that because he felt he had to keep the people in line. Because if he didn't, they would all go astray. And so they meet at the preacher's convention and the legalistic preacher says to the grace preacher, you're that guy that goes about preaching, we don't have to work to earn our salvation or we don't have to work to keep our salvation. You say, you're that guy that goes about saying it's all God's grace and forgiveness. He says, yeah, that's right. He said, well, if I believed what you believed, I would just go out and sin all I want. And the grace guy said, if you believed what I believed, that thought would never enter your mind. Because when, you have been, when your heart has been ravished by the love of God, you don't want to go and sin. You're not looking for an excuse to sin. You know, imagine any other relationship like that. Imagine, you know, somebody said, I don't cheat on my spouse. Why not? because I'm scared of the consequences of getting caught. And the other guy says, really? I don't cheat on my spouse because I love her and I don't want to break her heart. Those are two completely different ways of living. And you want to know God is our spiritual lover. He, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And we, you know, we're supposed to have been so 
we're so grateful, we're so overwhelmed that God loves us even when our life is one big mess that it makes us no, not want to keep it a mess. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation, not because we're trying to keep our salvation, not because we're trying to keep in God's good books. God is not Santa Claus. He's not taking a list, checking it twice, looking to see who's naughty and nice. God loves you even when your life is a big stinking mess. He still loves you. And the only way your life will ever be cleaned up is not by you trying harder to earn God's love, but you surrendering to God's unconditional love and forgiveness. And let him change you on the inside, not outwardly imposing something. Oh my goodness, let's, we need to move on. Matthew, let's look at Matthew. Matthew, right, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem. It's like, oh, they've come from denominational headquarters to check up on this guy, right? <laughs> to see Jesus. They asked him, now look at, I want you, crowds are following Jesus. People who are living in sinful lifestyles, including prostitution and things like that, where their lives were turning around and they were leaving their old lifestyle and following Jesus. Miracles were happening and people were being healed. What do the religious people zoom, zoom in on? Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? Do you notice what the key word there is? Tradition. Why do they disobey Rachel tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing. I mean, this was not even about hygiene. This was all a ceremonial thing of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. And Jesus replied, and why do you by your traditions violate the direct commandments of God? You cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. You see, one of the things the Bible says is, what does the Lord require of you but to, to love justice and mercy and to walk humbly with your God? But they were not interested in justice happening to people or mercy being given to people who needed it or walking in humility. It was all a religious pomp and show. And he said, if, uh, cancel the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Now, we, we know what, we use the word hypocrite today. We know what it means, somebody who doesn't live up to what they believe kind of thing. But actually, what that word originally meant was an actor in, in the theater, where they would put on masks, you know, masks with smiley faces and sad faces and so on. They would hold the masks in a stick. And when, when the actors were performing, when they changed their mood, they would change their mask. And Jesus is saying, religious people, it's an outward mass. I'm religious, yes, bless God, you know. But if you take the mask away, it's a different face un underneath. And he's saying, don't put an outside religious veneer on. Let God change your heart and life. He says, you hypocrites, um, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote this, these people honor me with their lips, 
Read the next bit with me. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man, you don't need to read the whole lot, just that, that bit. They, they teach uh, man-made ideas as commands of God. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen, and try to understand it's not what goes into your mouth, because we're talking about eating food ceremonially unclean. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And then the disciples came and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you said? You've just had a 30-day Facebook ban for offending people. Do you know once I tried to post the verse from Jesus, come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest, and Facebook refused to post it because it might offend religious people? <laughs> I thought, yeah, you're not joking, because religious people don't want to rest in the finished work of Jesus. They want to legalistically earn. You're not joking there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I've lost my place. Pharisee, but Jesus replied, um, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father shall be uprooted. So ignore them. See when you're looking at YouTube and some angry preacher with his veins sticking out his neck is telling you that God's angry at you? Scroll on by. Jesus said, ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. Their eyes haven't been opened to the love of God and they're leading other people into the ditch. They'll both fall in the ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that people aren't defiled by what they eat. And Jesus says, don't you understand? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from your heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defiles you, but eating with unwashed hands, and kids, here's a good verse to tell your mother, eating with unwashed hands will never defile me, okay? <laughs> Isn't it amazing what religious people get caught up in? Silly things. Do you know once... I, talking about this passage here, one time I, I switched on TV and there was a preacher on and, uh, and I thought, oh, I, I, I usually quite like this guy. He's usually quite encouraging. Let's hear what he was saying. I put the volume up and I'm brushing my teeth and things and I thought he was talking about not being selfish. And, and then I thought, has he got a speech impediment or something? I stopped the bzzz of the electric toothbrush to listen, and I realized he wasn't saying don't be selfish, he was saying don't eat shellfish. <laughs> and he, was, he had all these verses from the Old Testament somewhere, and then he said, and he actually said this, and I thought, you could get sued for this. He said, no Christian should ever go to Red Lobster. <laughs> do you know what that made me want to do? Go to Red Lobster. It awakened the desire within me for shrimp. I mean, what? How can you not get what Jesus just said there? Let's look at another one, Colossians. Colossians says this. Don't, don't let anyone capture you with 
empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. Oh, I just feel like there's something missing in my life. Maybe I don't feel like I'm a good enough Christian. I don't feel like I'm holy enough. I don't feel like I've got enough faith. Oh, hold on a minute. You are complete through your union with Christ. Yeah, but I'm not good at this, and I'm not good at that, and I'm not good at the next thing. You're not supposed to be good at those things. You're the branch and he's the vine. Let his life come through you because he's good at all those things. You know, just let God work through you. Rather, so, so don't let anyone condemn you. Let's say that together. Don't let anyone condemn. Let's really shout it. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for uh, not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon uh, ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows. All these rules in the Old Testament were only temporary shadows of the reality to come. And that, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial um, or the worship of angels. Some people will lead, you, will lead you into strict rules and some people into strange spiritual experiences saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as, not as you obey rules, but as God nourishes you. It grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such, read the next sentence with me, will you? Such rules are mere human teachings. That's all they are. About things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Read the last bit with me. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Do you see how being legalistic and trying to live? See, legalism is this. It's when you become a Christian and, and, and somebody does a bait and switch on you. Have you ever signed up for a free webinar that promised to tell you A, B, C, and D? And you sat through the whole hour and you realized they didn't tell you A, B, C, and D. They advertised the paid seminar where you'll find out about A, B, C, and D. And you think, well, that wasn't what the advert said. I think a lot of Christianity is like that. Come to Jesus. He died on the cross for you. Come to Jesus. He will forgive you. And you cannot save yourself, but God loves you so much, he will cleanse and forgive you. I'm, it's a free gift of grace. I come and receive. 
Now that you're in, sign on the dotted line. Here's all the doctrines you're supposed to believe, and here's all the rules you're supposed to behave, behave by. And if you don't, you won't be in this church much longer. So that was a bit of a bait and switch. I thought this was a free gift of grace. Sometimes we're told God will save you by his free gift of grace, but then people are in fear that they might lose their salvation if they don't live up to it. Let me tell you something. You are, right, the word grace means a free unmerited gift, right? Something you don't earn. It's a free unmerited gift. And a good, an, a good, a good anagram for the word grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. What Jesus did on the cross means that God's riches are now available to you free. That's grace. People think that they are saved by grace and then they have to keep on working to keep their salvation. You are saved by grace. You are kept safe by grace. And any transformation that takes place in your life will not be because you obeyed a legalistic list of rules, but because you are changed by God's grace. Everything is a gift from God. So let's forget about legalism. And let's go on now to futurism. Futurism is the belief or a system of belief that pushes all or most of the biblical prophecies into our future, regardless of the context or historical fulfillments. So, for example, if you go up to your average Christian, and even many non-Christians, and you say to them, when do you think the end times are and the last days that are spoken of in the Bible? People say, these are the last days. We are living in the last days. There's doom and gloom just round the corner. The Antichrist must be living somewhere in the world. He's probably been born already, and he's preparing to take over the world. And there's going to be a great tribulation that will happen over the whole planet, and things are going to be really bad. We should all sell our houses and buy cabins in northern BC off the grid so that the Antichrist can't find us because no antichrist in his right mind would go to that cold area, so. <laughs> we might freeze to death, but at least we won't be tribulated. <laughs> so, we push all of these prophecies off. Now, there are some prophecies about the, the, that are to be fulfilled in the future, but here's the key. For some reason, Christianity has become about guilt and fear instead of about forgiveness and peace. And legalism makes you feel guilt, and futurism makes you feel fear, because you always believe that there's some weird explanation and interpretation of Bible prophecies that means something bad's about to happen in our world, and we're trying to pinpoint exactly what it is. But you know, there are prophecies about a time, Jesus did prophesy a time of great tribulation, but you know, it was, if you read it in context, he was very clear. He didn't say over the whole world. He said in Judea. And he didn't say in the 21st century. He said, it will happen to the generation I'm speaking to. This generation will see those things. 
And he said that the armies would come against Jerusalem and would surround the city, and there would be a famine in the city, and there would be false messiahs arise, and the Romans would invade, and they would kill everybody, and they would throw their bodies into the the burning uh, landfill site that was there, and they would knock down the temple, and they would put an end to all the sacrifices. And all of that happened within 40 years of Jesus' prophecy. Yes, the book of Revelation talks about a great beast arising, an emperor. In context, it happened. It was the emperor Nero. It even says in the book of Revelation, it doesn't say, and this shall happen in 2,000 years' time. It said, watch. It's written to Christians alive at the time. It says, watch, for the time is very soon. This will happen soon. But we push all these things off onto our future, where actually they're in our past. But I'll tell you what's in our future. There's good prophecies for our future. The kingdom of God will advance of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. The, the, the Bible prophesies about our future that the day will come that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. It says the time will come that God's loving, peaceful kingdom will have expanded so much that nations will no longer declare war against other nations. There's good things in our future, not doom and gloom, but glory and blessing. Let, let me just show you something. Put up, put up the next slide, please. Right, Hebrews, 1 Peter, Acts, and 1 John. Here are a few verses about the last days. And none of them say that we live in the last days. First of all, they tell us that Jesus, when he was alive and preaching and teaching, Jesus lived in the last days. Look, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now, in these, he has spoken to us through his Son. Jesus' teaching ministry took place in the last days. Not the last days of planet Earth, the last days of the Old Testament, the last days of the Old Covenant age, the last days of the law of Moses, the last days of legalism, all that stuff is gone. We don't live in the last days, we live in the new days. Jesus' death and resurrection took place in the last days. God chose Jesus as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these Do you see that? He has been revealed for your sake. When the church began in the day of Pentecost and God poured out the Holy Spirit, do you know that the day of Pentecost took place in the last days? Look what Peter said. Peter preached and said, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel in the God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now, occasionally I've had people say to me, yeah, okay, okay, that was the last days, but this is the last days too. Well, how do you get that? Well, the, la- the last days have lasted a long, long time. Well, would that not be the last centuries? Yes, but to God, time is different to us. The last day, we're still in the last days. That's funny because once all the other original apostles were dead and the last surviving apostle was the apostle John, 
He said it was no longer the last days. It was the last hour. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, that is how we know it is the last hour. So what is this, the last millisecond? You know, obviously, that was a period of time that they lived in. The last days at the end of the age, the old covenant age. What about this thing about, but, but like every time I go on YouTube, there's a video about who the Antichrist might be and how we must all be afraid because he, he's going to take over the world. Quite often I've asked people when I've been teaching at seminars, okay, everybody, tell me what book of the Bible talks the most about the Antichrist? And people usually shout out, Revelation. Revelation does not mention the word Antichrist not even one time. There are only two places that the Antichrist is mentioned, the first letter of John and the second letter of John, and it's not a world dictator, and it's not someday in our future. It was a Gnostic cult that existed at the time of John. Let's read it. Put up the next one. Dear children, this is the last hour. The last hour is here. You have heard that Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. Those people left our churches. This is something that was happening then. But they would never really belong to us, otherwise they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved they did not belong to us. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth, the truth about Jesus, the gospel. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between the truth and lies. Who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Remember that. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real human body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Do I, I do have another one. But you belong to God, dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Many deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent that you receive your full reward. That is everything the Bible says about the word antichrist. Everything. So only places it's mentioned. And it's about a group of people, we know this from history, a group of Gnostics led by a man called Serinthus who was teaching that Jesus was not the Christ and that Christ did not have a physical body. He said Jesus was like a guru and he was a, he was a channeler and a spirit called the Christ came into him and he channeled the spirit but that Jesus was not the Christ and that the Christ did not come in a physical body. And that 
says anyone who teaches that is the spirit of Antichrist. They have an, an anti means another, right? Another Christ. So they have a false Christ, another Christ, a different. That was a cult that was going about. The, in fact, there's a cult today that still teaches that stuff. That's what an antichrist is, and it says that it was fulfilled in the first century. Let's stop pushing everything off into our future. Okay, right. We're not supposed to go about with shame and guilt that's produced by legalism. And we're not supposed to go about with fear and anxious thoughts about the future that, be, that, that futurism produces. So how are we supposed to live? Well, we're supposed to live our lives in grace and peace. In grace and peace. You see, we live in the in-between time. There's, there was the first coming of Christ. And in that first coming of Christ, he prophesied that a whole lot, Jesus prophesied and the book of Revelation prophesied that that whole first generation in the first century would face opposition and tribulation and persecution and the Roman Empire would behead Christians and throw them to lions and all, and all of that took place. And then in our future, there is the return of Christ and the renewal of all creation and all things. And we live in the time in between that, right? We are not supposed to be worrying about antichrists and tribulations. That's behind us. We are supposed to be looking forward to God's kingdom, His love, His blessing, advancing, and more and more people catching it. And once, the Bible says, once all of His enemies are a footstool for His feet, Christ shall return again. So, we live in this time in between. How are we supposed to live in this time? Not by obeying the Old Testament law code. It, listen, don't go to Red Lobster if you don't like shellfish. But, you, but don't not go because there's a verse in the book of Leviticus. Because that same chapter says you shouldn't wear linen and cotton at the same time. And every person in this room is doing that. I guarantee it. You're a bunch of sinners. <laughs> right? Don't forget that. Live in grace. I am forgiven not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did. God loves me just as I am. And I know there's things in my life that are not right. I know I need to get rid of old habits, old attitudes, sinful ways of thinking, wrong ways of treating people. I need to get rid of all that. But I'll never do it by becoming a strict disciplinarian. I'll do it as God, uh, God changes, as I read the Bible, as I pray, as I come to church and worship, as I bask and soak in the presence of my loving Father, I am changed and transformed from the inside out. And then an opportunity comes for me to do something wrong, and I don't say, well, hold on a minute, I better not do that because that's on the list. And if I do that and someone from the church finds out, I'll be in trouble. No, 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 no. I say, no, no, inside me, my conscious, conscience says, mm -mm, that's not for you anymore. You don't need that anymore. You can walk free of that. I remember after I became a Christian, uh, I was about 18 years old. There was a nightclub I, that I used to go to regularly. And I um, uh, Maybe about two weeks after I became a Christian, I went to it. Never, no, 
nobody gave me a list of rules, and nobody said I couldn't go to nightclubs, so I went. So I went to the nightclub, and I walked in, and me and my friend ordered a drink at a bar, and then my friend saw some girl he liked, and he went over to talk to her, and all of a sudden, I felt like an alien that had beamed down into a foreign world. I knew this place. I knew the music. I knew the people. I was there regularly. All of a sudden, I thought, I don't like this anymore. I don't want to be here. I didn't even tell my friend. I just abandoned him. I just left. I walked out the door. I even left, I, and, and I'm Scottish, and I left that pint half drunk. I didn't even take it with me. I'll just leave that. And I never went back, not because of any legalism, but because something in the inside of me said, I don't even want this life anymore. I want the new life. Grace. Live free and live, and, and, and worrying about the future. Have peace. Because God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And even when bad things happen in the world, God works all things together for good for those who love him. And, and you might not, not know what lies ahead, but God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has a plan of the ages that he is working out. And here's, here's some news for you. God has never failed yet in his plan. He, that which he has planned, he will surely bring to pass. Look, you might switch on the news and it looks like there's terrorism and there's this and there's that and there's the next thing. I want you to know God's plan is bang on schedule. He is doing exactly what he said he would do and he will continue to work in your life, in this church, in this city, in this nation and in this world because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You can have peace that God's plan will be fulfilled, and you can have joy in the fact that you are forgiven and He is at work within you. Let's stand together. We're going to say the same prayer that we said last week, and we're going to, you'll see, we'll, we'll do it again next week, and you'll see how your eyes will open up more and more to the meaning of this prayer. This prayer is the Lord's Prayer, but the, the version that we're familiar with is translated from Greek to English. This version is translated from Aramaic to English. Aramaic is a language that Jesus spoke, so this is the way he would have spoken it and the way his disciples would have written it down. And it's, it's even harder to translate into English because it, the words are so full of meaning. This will help you see this in a new way. We're going to pray this prayer together, starting with beloved Father. We all ready, church? Let's say it together. Let's go. Beloved Father, who fills all realms, may you be honored in me. Let your divine rule come now. Let your will come true in all the universe, in the heavens and on earth. Give us all that we need for each day and untangle the knots of unforgiveness that bind us within as we also let go of the guilt of others. 
Let us not be lost in superficial things, but let us be free from that which keeps us from our true purpose. From you comes all rule, the strength to act, and the song that beautifies all from age to age. Amen. Come on, give God a praise, church.